James chapter 1, as we're entering into a five-week series entitled, Putting Feet uh, to Your Faith. We've got um, a picture I want to show you this morning all the way from Myanmar. I got this picture from Dr. House this morning. (laughs) He's literally putting feet to his faith in Myanmar. He's wearing a skirt, so we need to pray for him, but other than that, that's the, kind of the attire in Burma there, but he has uh, preached three times this morning in three different churches, so God's using him and the team, so be praying for the fruit of the Word of God to take root or take root and bear fruit in the hearts of our brothers and sisters in Christ in Southeast Asia. So James chapter 1 Uh, We are going to be looking at verse 26 and 27 today, the very end of the chapter. And what you need to know about James? Well, James is the earliest uh, book in the New Testament. It's dated 30 to 50 years after Jesus' death. And so uh, not only is it the earliest, it is, if not the, one of the most practical books in the New Testament. It's very practical. Uh, It kind of reads like a sermon. You can take the book of James and you can lay it beside Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and they have very parallel theme. You can almost lay it on top of each other and have almost the same themes running through them. It's, it's very practical. And what we can say about James, it just preaches itself, man. I mean, you read it, it's just preaching itself. It's likened to a pregame speech from a football coach. It has 50 imperatives, 50 commands in five chapters. I mean, it's power-packed. That's different from Paul's writings. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and Paul's writings are intricately woven theological arguments. I mean, read the book of Romans, and good luck with that. But James is like a bull in a china shop. I mean, he's just laying it out there. So, if you are a Cut to the chase, in your face, bottom line, don't beat around the bush, get to the point, get on with it, lay down the law, say what you mean, meat and potatoes, nitty gritty, nuts and bolts, put some feet to it, roll up your sleeves, uh, kind of person, then you and James, y'all would have hung out, like y'all would have been tight, because that's who James is, he's just getting right to the nitty gritty. No, no fluff here at all. He just gets to the bottom line. So it's a very practical book. Along with that, it's also probably the most problematic book in the New Testament. There are some church fathers who outright rejected James as not needing to be in the canon at all in the New Testament. Because at first glance, it may seem like that James's teaching were saved by some kind of merit or some kind of work. And so guys like Martin Luther, for example, said this about James. James' epistle is a right strawy epistle compared to Romans, Galatians, Ephesians. For James has nothing of the nature of the gospel about it. Now, I would disagree with Martin Luther on that. And Tertullian quotes the New Testament some 7,000 times, but never once from the book of James. And so it's this idea, okay, the 65 books of the Bible, if you were to pull James out, which the Holy Spirit put him in there for a reason, but the other rest of the scriptures, teaching were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, is James teaching something different 
The early church followers said, well, it looks like he's teaching we're saved by works and not by grace. And so we're going to find out as we walk through these five chapters. We're going to do one message from each chapter over the next five weeks. So if you have your place in James chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, say, I'm there. Let me read verse 26 and 27 as you follow along here. Here we go. If anyone uh, thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, pay attention to that. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphan and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Father, we're grateful for your word this morning. We are so honored to be able to gather in this place and break the seal on the word of God and know that the only way we can break the seal is because Christ himself has broken it through his death, bell, and resurrection. He has revealed who you are to us. And we are so grateful to be able to sit under the teaching of the Holy Spirit this morning uh, from the text of James. And God, we look forward to hearing today and being transformed today and being changed and convicted and being stretched and being given hope and peace and joy as we dive into what true, pure, undefiled religion looks like and what it feels like and what it is. So Lord, we pray that whatever we have brought to the table this morning, whatever we have learned about religion from our traditions and from our past, whatever we consider to be religious, that God, I pray today we'll have an open mind and an open heart to hear from you, not our standard, but your standard of what true, undefiled, genuine pure religion is all about. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I want to speak to you on that very subject this morning, religion. Getting real about religion. Religion. Let's get real about religion. I don't know if you've ever heard of the story of the Jade Master. Uh, The Jade Master, this story can be found in a book called The Trader's Window. And It's a story of a young man who didn't know what he wanted to do with his life, couldn't figure it out. So he said, you know what, I think I want to learn about jade. So he heard about a jade master, an older gentleman that knew everything there was to know about jade. And so this young man goes to his house, knocks on his door, and the old man answers the door, has a broom in his hand. He said, sir, I would like to learn about jade. May I be your student? Old man said, sure, come on in. Sat him down, fixed him a a cup of green tea. And he put a green stone in the palm of his hand. He pressed it into his hand. He said, now you hold on to this stone while we talk. And so the old man just started talking about a green tree frog. And the young man's thinking to himself, I I don't want to hear about a tree frog. I I came here to learn about jade. And so he interrupted the man and said, excuse me, sir, I've I've come here to learn about jade. And the old man said, oh, excuse me. He said, look, why why don't you come back next week? So next week, he trudged all the way back to the jade master's house and had the same conversation. And he sat him down, gave him some green tea, pressed a green stone in his hand and said, you hold on to this while we talk. 
And the old man started talking about a green tree frog again. And the young man scratching his head and thinking, is this guy going senile on me or what? He said, sir, excuse me, but I've, I've come here to learn about jade. He said, oh, it's probably time for you to go home. You come back next week. And so this went on week after week after week after week. All winter long. Went on for months. And eventually the young man started interrupting the old man less and less and less and less. Started listening to him and hearing these life lessons. He had some good things to say. Some of it was really good. He even became friends with a guy. Helped him out with chores around his place. And one day he came to the jade master's house and walked in. And same thing happened. Gave him a cup of tea. Pressed a stone into his hand. Says, you hold on to this stone while we talk. And he began to talk about that green tree frog. And all of a sudden, the young man said, wait a minute. This is not jade. And in that Mr. Miyagi moment, this young man realized that he had been learning about what true, genuine jade was every visit, every week, every month. By holding it in the palm of his hand, he realized what true, genuine jade was all about. So here we, we, we come to the book of James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. Can you imagine Growing up in the house where Jesus grew up. And James did, probably didn't realize it at the time, but seeing his brother grow up and playing with his brother and all things brothers do, he, he probably didn't realize that I'm, I'm witnessing what true, genuine, undefiled religion is. It's this person named Jesus. And so today I pray that as we come to the table with all our preconceived notions about what religion is I'm just asking you to have an open mind this morning and open your heart and just hear from the Holy Spirit and let God teach us today transform us into being truly religious and see what true religion is all about and so I want to speak to you on this takeaway today it seems almost contradictory in itself but it reads this way real religion is not religious. It's really not religious at all. I mean, verse 26 and 27 in this text is really not religious at all. Now, religion, the word is only found four times in the New Testament, twice here. And so I want to give you four signs this morning of what genuine, true, undefiled religion is. These four signs can help you determine whether or not you have true, genuine religion. Look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious. So the first sign here is engage in gospel conversations. Engage in gospel conversations. This is the first sign that you are truly living out pure, genuine, undefiled religion. If you are engaging in gospel conversation, if you want to engage in conversation, if you're praying about that, if you have a desire to do that, if you're thinking about that, hey, that's a good sign that you have true, genuine, pure religion. Because what he does here in verse 26, he talks about what we think, and he compares that to what we say. Okay? Let me show you what I mean. If anyone thinks he is religious, somebody say thinks. Yeah, not knows he's religious. I'm talking about you consider yourself to be religious. Some of you have come here today, you consider yourself to be very religious. You imagine yourself and think of yourself as being very religious. Now, this is dangerous because we think much of ourselves, don't we? <laughs> And that puffed up, inflated view of oneself is very dangerous that we can be self-deceived and self-deception unchecked always leads 
to self-destruction. And so James is warning us, the Holy Spirit said, hey, if you think you are religious, if you consider yourself religious, if you imagine yourself to be religious. Now, religion here can mean the same thing it means for us today, uh, going through the motions of coming to church every Sunday and sitting here and singing and worshiping and serving and even praying. And let me say this from the get-go. James is not saying we need to throw that out. James is not saying not only do we need to throw the baby out in the bathroom and throw the bathing out with it. No, in James chapter 2, the first part of James 2, he's telling us how important corporate worship really is. So James is not dismiss, dismissing what we're doing right now. He would be an advocate of what we're doing right now. His point is, there is no, hear me very carefully, there is no amount of outward religiosity that can compensate for an unbridled tongue. That's what he's saying. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. The word bridle is an interesting word, isn't it? It means have a tight rein on, control of, uh, hold in check, uh, bridle the tongue. In our former church where uh, I was pastoring, Hebron Baptist Church in southeast Louisiana. I bet they're having a pretty good day today in Louisiana. What do you think? Probably so. You know, the reason LSU beat Alabama has absolutely nothing to do with LSU, has nothing to do with Alabama at all. One is no better than the other. The only reason LSU beat Alabama is because LSU in the offseason went and hired an offensive coach from the New Orleans Saints <laughs> so he could teach them how to run the Saints offense in Baton Rouge. That's why they won. It all goes back to the best team in the game, New Orleans Saints. And also, Joe Burrow wears number nine, and of course, that's Drew Brees' number, the best quarterback to ever play. So that, that, there you have that. So southeast Louisiana, there's a church called Hebron Baptist Church. And that church, uh, in the year 2030, they're going to celebrate their 200th birthday, 200 years old. And, and when I was there, I was reading through some of their minutes, and I came across a business meeting in the minutes from the night, late 19th century, and it was a business meeting where the church voted uh, to buy uh, the circuit preacher. They didn't have a pastor then. They had a guy that would go from about, he'd be there about once a month and preach there. They'd have Sunday school every week, but then he would come around about once a month and preach. And they had voted to buy him a new saddle and new bridle for his horse. It's in the minutes of the businessman. That's so cool. Why, why do you need a bridle? Because if you didn't have a bridle, that horse would have been out of control, right? The bridle helps us control the horse, just like we're called. Man, if you're not controlling your tongue, your tongue is controlling you. you got to bridle that and control it and have a tight rein on your tongue. So one who says, yes, I'm very religious, you think you are, you have all these thoughts about yourself, then you go say whatever you want to say. You go over and tweet and post whatever you want to tweet and post, you and he's saying that religion is worthless. It's of no use. It's vain and trifling and frivolous. It's worthless. That's worthless. So here's what James is saying. Some people just talk too much. I know that's a shocker. <laughs> Why would the Holy Spirit say that? Some people have too many opinions and they share them way too quickly. Man, feel free to keep your opinions to yourself, James is saying. 
People just talk too much. You know, we speak about 16 to 18,000 words a day, and that is like a 54-page book. So every day you're speaking about a 54-page book. Over your lifetime, that's a lot of volumes. So what do you, when, if that's being recorded anywhere, I think the Bible says something about that. If that indeed is being recorded, what does it say? What, what you say, what is it saying about you? What are you saying about your spouse and your family? And Man, if somebody was recording that, what, what all is coming out of your mouth? Proverbs reminds us that the tongue has the power of life and death. That the throat is an open grave, the throat is. Why? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you can speak life or death. You can speak encouraging words or discouraging words. You can uh, speak and build people up or tear people down. A great question to ask yourself, a great question to ask yourself before you say something is this. Is what I'm about to say is what I'm about to tweet or text or post, is this going to help or is it going to hurt? Is this going to encourage or discourage? If it's not going to help, if it's not going to encourage, then don't say it. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube once you squirt it out. You can't get it back in there. I I was reading about a famed uh, linguist who, who spoke seven languages. And they said that he could remain silent in seven different languages. Some of us need to pray for the gift of silence. We can't even be silent in one language. Now, it doesn't say we're never to speak. Of course, James 1, uh, 19 says, be quick to hear and slow to speak. It doesn't say you can never speak. It says just be slow in speaking. So with that being said, what is an unbridled tongue? What does it look like? Here's some examples. We're going to run through these. Y'all ready? We're going to run through some of these, okay? Now, obvious from the get-go, you might think of vulgarity or obscenities. Of course, that's an unbridled tongue, but it's much more than that. Uh, Off-colored stories or racial or ethnic insults. How about humor that's meant to insult and tear somebody down? Or talking too much. Angry outburst is an unbridled tongue. Harsh words, mean-spirited comments, manipulative speech. Do you use your speech to manipulate a situation? That's an unbridled tongue. Uh, How about this one? Gossip, rumors, false accusations. Boy, that's becoming more and more prevalent. Imputing bad motives. I don't know if I've said this one yet. Talking too much. Let me say that one. Uh, Airing the dirty laundry of your family. That drives me nuts when people just air their dirty laundry all over social media. Of their spouse, their family, their in-laws. Just putting it out. The most spiritual thing some of us can do is just delete all social media. Just get off of it. That's the best thing some of us can do. Yelling and screaming, threats, intimidating comments, endless criticism, quick cutting comments, cheap shots condemning others, talking without listening, exaggerating the faults of others while excusing your own. How about that one? You know, we got a little phrase that we think just lets us off the hook. We can say whatever we want to say, and then we put on the end of, I'm just joking. But we can say whatever we want to say, as crude, as mean, as ugly. Say, I was just joking. No, that's an unbridled tongue. That's a tongue that's out of control. But I don't want us to just stop there and say, okay, a bridled tongue is one that that, that, that is only one that is uh, not saying 
what ought not to be said. That's not the only unbridled tongue. It's not only one that is saying what or not saying what ought not to be said, but it's one that says what ought to be said, which is the gospel. Peace, hope, love. Jesus, man. I mean, you've been given a tongue for the purpose because you're his witness. That's why. You're to make disciples, teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. Man, use your tongue to build up, to speak life and hope and peace and joy and Jesus. David Platt said it this way, in a day of text messaging, email, Twitter, blog, social media, we've created an entire culture that says, hey, if you have a thought, then you should immediately share it with the whole world. Well, followers of Christ, don't buy that line of reasoning. Just because it enters your mind doesn't mean it has to come out of your mouth. You have to have a bridle, control, a tight rein on your tongue. And why should I, Pastor? Because look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious, not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, there's a connection between the heart and the mouth. There's a reason Jesus said your throats are open graves. Hey, Pharisees. Your throats are open graves. Why? Because you're dead on the inside. You're dead. And so the open grave is your mouth. It's not closed. It's open because when you speak, you're speaking death because you're dead on the inside. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Are you speaking life and hope and joy and peace in Jesus or are you speaking death and destruction, hurtful and discouraging words? Are you having gospel conversations? Do you want to? Do you have a desire to? If so, then, yes, you are experiencing true, undefiled, pure religion. Francis Chan, he wrote Crazy Love. Anybody ever heard of Francis Chan? Book Crazy Love, great, 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 great book. He is moving his family to Southeast Asia. He said recently he went there with his family. They were going from hut to hut sharing Jesus, and people were just getting saved. And, man, they're just so eager to hear the word of God. So on the plane home, he looked at his wife. He says, honey, I think it's time to move. So he's moving his family to, to Southeast Asia, and he described it this way. He said, I feel like I've been fishing in the same pond my whole life here in America, and now there's like thousands of other fishermen at this one pond, and our lines are getting tangled and crossed, right? And we're arguing about stupid stuff, stuff that doesn't matter. And somebody tries a new lure, and he casts it out, he catches a fish, and say, hey, he caught a fish, and everybody goes and gets that lure and tries that lure, and... But then he hears about a lake about five miles away, about a five-mile hike away, and said, man, the fish over there, they're biting. They're not biting at this pond where there are a thousand fish, but over there, they're biting. In fact, you don't even have to throw a lure. You just throw a, a hook, just a hook in, no bait at all, and they just eat it up. They're just ready. The fish are biting. He said, why would I not? He said, if fishing matters to me, if I love fishing, if I've been called to go fish, why would I not go to that pond where the fish are biting? Why would I stay at a pond where the fish aren't biting? Why won't I go to the one where the fish are biting? He said, I'll tell you why I don't go to that pond. I stay at this pond. I stay at this pond because I built a house on this pond. And my friends have built houses on this pond. And we really don't fish anymore. We just kind of hang out, play, have fun, enjoy each other. So, man, if I love fishing, if, if I'm called to go fishing, why wouldn't I go to the pond where they're biting? Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we all need to sell everything and go to Myanmar? No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that. It may mean that for somebody in the room, but not all of us, certainly. Here's what it does mean. At the least, this is what it means. It means that we should bridle our tongue and speak truth and hope and life 
and Jesus to people in our pond, in our area where we're currently fishing. And actually fish and cast. We're not to catch them, we're to cast. We're not the catchers, we're the casters. Right? God catches them, but we cast. We have, we've been called to be his witnesses. So are you engaging in gospel conversation? I certainly hope so, because that's a sure sign that you have genuine, undefiled, pure religion. Number two, here's a second sign. It's in verse 27. And this sign is, exalt God the Father. Exalt God the Father. Notice the standard here. Or exalt God the Creator, rather. Sorry, exalt God the Creator. Here's the standard. Look at verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God. Not before me, not before Sam, not what I think's best. Not what I think religion is, or what I think is religious. Not what you think religion is, or what is religious. What God thinks. What is God's standard about this? So we exalt Him. We exalt the things of God. We exalt His standard, not our own. So religion that is pure, that means clean, and undefiled means free from contaminants, not contaminated. So clean and free from contamination, this type of religion, in the sight of God, not in your sight and my sight, in the sight of God. Not what you think and what I think, but what God knows. Religion that is pure in God's eyes before God the Father is this. Apparently, God is trying to make an emphasis that this is not about religious ritual. It's not about rule keeping. It's about being kept by the ruler. It's not about holding on to a, a two rules. It's about having a relationship, right? So apparently that's what he's getting to. In fact, this is what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He said, listen, you have invalidated the word of God by your traditions. You hypocrites. No wonder Isaiah said of you, he rightly said of you, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their lives are far from me. Here's what God is saying to us here in verse 27. Listen very carefully. Not all religion is acceptable to God. Did y'all hear that? Not all religion is acceptable to God. Now, we immediately think of world religions, right? As American Christians, we run, oh, yeah, well, Buddhism isn't acceptable, or Islam, or Judaism, or Hinduism. Yeah, those aren't acceptable to God. Yes, that's true, but I'm not only talking about that. I'm talking about you and me. I'm talking about Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians. I'm talking about Episcopalians, Charismatics, Church of Christ, Church of God, denominational, non-denominational, Anglican, go down the list. I'm talking about you and me, that we have religion that is not acceptable to God, that we can get caught in that cycle and think, hey, this is acceptable to God. And any form of religiosity cannot compensate for an unbridled tongue. It just can't happen. So there is not all religion is acceptable to God. So what is acceptable? Well, this leads us to the third sign that you are experiencing true, genuine religion. Number three, extend gracious compassion. What the Lord does here is he says, listen, as we extend gracious compassion, not just compassion, we're not just to be compassionate to people that are going to turn right around and be compassionate to us. We're not to scratch each other's backs. You scratch mine, I scratch yours. We're not to just help people that are going to help us or love people that are going to love us back. That's, not, that's just compassion. He wants us to extend gracious compassion. Like we, 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 we help people, we engage people, and we know they can never pay us back. They never can. That's what he's talking about when he says orphans and widows here in verse 27. 
Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. So here's what God is saying. True religion moves us to action. It moves us to act. It moves us to engage people. It moves us to go where they are and to help them. It moves us to visit folks like orphans and widows. It's not just those two groups only. It's not an exhaustive list here. It's those who are being afflicted and in distress. Be it the unborn, the sick, the disabled, prisoners, anyone who can't help themselves. We are to go, anyone that can't pay us back. Like, I hear talk like this among churches. And I'm not just talking about our church. I'm just talking about the American church. There's this conversation, going, man, we really need to reach this family or that family. They could really benefit us. I mean, they're a well-to-do, well-connected family. They could really help our church. But we don't hear a lot of conversation about, hey, we really need to go after these, that all they can offer us is faith, hope, and love. They can offer us nothing else. They have nothing. They're penniless, they're fatherless, they're spouseless. They have nothing. And all they can offer is faith, hope, and love. And we never really talk about going after them or strategies to go after them. So tonight we are. Tonight up at the Point Church, we're going to talk about that. How can we get involved, be aware of what we can do for those who are fatherless? This is in your bulletin today. I'd encourage you to bring your family up to the Point Church at 5 o'clock to learn more about, hey, how can I... How can I extend gracious compassion to those who will never be able to pay me back? How can I do that? You'll learn about that more tonight. And so here, here's, here's the picture, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. This is an example of people who can't pay us back. Maybe this will help you process this. There's a poem that I came across that really convicted me. It's very convicting. So listen to this. I was hungry, and you formed a humanities club and discussed hunger. I was imprisoned, and you gathered in your church and prayed for my release. I was naked, and in your mind you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick, and you knelt and thanked God for your health. I was homeless, and you preached to me of the spiritual shelter of the love of God. I was lonely, and you left me alone to go and pray for me. You seemed so holy. You seemed so close to God. But I am still hungry. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to extend gracious compassion, not expecting anything in return. Gracious compassion. Number four, last one. Not only are we to extend gracious compassion, like do something outwardly, but number four, we're to exhibit godly character like internally godly character so we have conversation here we have compassion here we have character here in verse 26 and 27 that really sums up real true pure undefiled religion that we're having conversations that we're extending compassion that we're exhibiting godly character
It seems almost disconnected, does it not? Verse 27, I mean, what, I mean, what does visiting orphans and widows have, have to do with... What does it have to do with keeping oneself unstained from the world? Doesn't that seem to be a disconnect? And yet the word and here is a conjunction that connects them. Doesn't disconnect them, it connects them. I mean, think about it. If we're going to extend compassion to orphans and widows, where are they? (laughs) We have to go to where they are. If we're going to extend compassion to the least of these, we have to go to where the least of these are. And guess what? They're not sitting in here. Okay? They're in a stained, broken, dirty, filthy world. They're out there. And we have to go out there. But the Holy Spirit is saying, listen, as you go out there, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm commissioning you to go, but as you go... Rub shoulders with folks that are broken and sinful and separated from me. Hey, as you go, be sure to keep yourself unstained from the world. It doesn't say keep your neighbor unstained from the world, does it? I'm not, it's not, I'm not going to be held 100% accountable for keeping Tanya unstained from the world. I'll be accountable for leading my family but I'll be 100% accountable for Sam. So I says, keep oneself, not keep your neighbor, keep yourself, oneself, unstained. From, it's trouble enough trying to keep ourselves unstained, right? I mean, don't add anybody else to me. Friday night, uh, I got tickets for Tanya and I to go see uh, Les, Les Mes. Is that how you say that? When I got the tickets, and I, you know, I, I don't know how to pronounce it at all, but I bought the tickets and said, oh, this is less miserable, all right? <laughs> It won't be too bad. It'll be less miserable for me. It's not my cup of tea, but it was less miserable. In fact, it was great. I thought it was fantastic. It was really awesome to go to that and see, see that play at the Tivoli. But we went to eat somewhere before that. Very nice restaurant. Uh, one of our church members got us a gift card. I'm so appreciative of that. It was a, man, it was a highfalutin place to go eat. So we go in and sit down, and we're like rubbing shoulders with folks that I'm th- we don't belong in this room, okay? When you sit down and the table next to you, the first thing they say to each other is, well, we just sold our beach house. <laughs> like it was like I just, went to the mar- I just went and got a gallon of milk. Like <laughs> just sold our beach house. And then the other one at the table piped up, well, I'm taking, I'm taking so-and-so to New York for her birthday. I'm thinking... You know, we, like, we had a sleepover at our house for birthday. I mean, we're, we're, we're not in the same league here, okay? We're rubbing shoulders with people that are not in our league. And then they had, you know, the, they left and they went and had their car valet uh, back to them. And wow. Thinking, let's go get in our Toyota and head out of here. We're to go where they are. We're to engage the brokenness where they are. go to, to their territory, but not be stained by the, by the brokenness of the world. Say, how in the world can we do that? We are broken. Yes, we are broken. That means you have to know your limitations. You have to understand where you can go and where you can't go. There's limitations on what you can. There's people that you don't need to go and be around if it will trigger something sin in your life you have to know you have to have limitations and God is sovereign enough to know this 
He knows who he is set apart for you to lead to Christ and who he hasn't, and he knows this. And so how are we to do this, Pastor? How are we to go and, 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 and minister to these people and engage them and yet not fall in that trap of sin? Years ago, there was a, a guy in New Orleans who preached a street preacher on Bourbon Street, on Bourbon Street Chaplain. He would preach down there, and, and he had a, a, a fall while he was there. Uh, eventually, he gave in to some of that sin. And so how do we do that? How do we engage people but stay unstained? Well, here's the good news. Y'all ready for this? Verse 27 in James chapter 1 is the gospel. This is the gospel. Can you think of anyone who stepped down into our brokenness yet remained unbroken? Can you think of anyone who came and died for our sins yet he never lived in sin? Can you think of anyone who came into our blemished world remaining unblemished? Can you think of one who left the beauty of heaven and, and, and experienced a barnyard birth? One that came from the purity of heaven and walked among our impurity. He ate with us. He talked with us. He walked among us. He lived with us. He laughed with us. He wept with us. He rubbed shoulders with hypocrites and gluttons. And, and, and yet he never was a hypocrite or glutton himself. He remained clean, sinless, tempted in every way. He can sympathize in every way, yet he did it without sin. So, what is true, pure, undefiled religion? One word, Jesus. Not Judaism, Jesus. Not tradition, Jesus. That's it. He came into our brokenness. He rescued us. And if we're to experience true religion, we need Christ living in us. We'll never engage in conversations about the gospel. We'll never extend gracious compassion. We'll never exhibit godly character without Christ. It will never happen. Lecrae, before he was Lecrae, he was known as Crazy Cray. Theologian, Christian rapper, he was caught up in drugs, theft, women, alcohol. You go down the list, whatever the world has to offer. Until one guy stepped into his subculture. An older gentleman, a mentor, stepped into his life and said, Son, God's called me to tell you about Jesus. And he pointed him to Christ and discipled him and walked with him. And this is what Lecrae said he learned about Christianity. Christianity is not just a, 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 this thing where you, you, you get saved and then there's a list of things you're not supposed to do anymore. <laughs> That's not Christianity. It's not get saved and then don't do these things. Stay away from this. No, he says real religion is just not about that moment, but it's about every moment after that as you grow. It's total truth, not just salvation at the moment truth, but it's truth after that, the fruit you bear after that. It's lordship salvation. It's living with Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so here we go. Here's the question for believers and unbelievers. If you say I'm a believer in the room and you say, Hey, I feel like I'm very religious. Well, then check it right here. Here's, 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 here's the standard. Check it against this. This is the standard. James 1, 26, 27. Pray that if you're a believer, ask the Holy Spirit to help you bridle your tongue, to help you enter in conversations about Him, to help you exhibit godly character, to help you extend gracious compassion. We need Jesus every day. Lord, I need you not one day, every day. Following Christ is not it's always more than that moment when you're saved. It's always more than that. 
So believer, ask the Holy Spirit to help you, okay? To reach out to people, to engage people, and yet remain unstained. Jesus is the only one that can do it. If you're an unbeliever in the room today, we're so grateful you came to worship. I am so grateful that you either by video, um, internet, television, have watched our service today. And I want you to know religion, real true religion, is never less than the moment of salvation. Jesus told a very religious man, you must be born again. (laughs) You have to have the moment when you're born again. It doesn't stop there. It begins there. So real religion is never less than that moment. You have to have that moment where you realize, hey, I'm separated from God and I can't get there on my own. And Christ has come to bring me back to God. And if I put my faith in the work he accomplished on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, then I'll be saved. I can have that moment where I am adopted into the family of God. And so let me point this to you, unbeliever. Look at verse 27 one more time. I just want to read it one more time. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the fatherless. If you have not come to faith in Christ, you are fatherless. You're an orphan. (laughs) But God the Father has decided to adopt any and all who will believe on him. He's given us the right to become children of God. Those who believe in his name. 